0: It's time to listen to a teaching of the Vivify Ministries. It is our joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Alright, here we go. You're welcome to tonight's Bible study. My name is Susan and... Praise Jesus. I'm going to be taking Bible study tonight. Hallelujah. Who's excited? Woo, I am. So, praise the Lord. Today's topic. Are women allowed to preach? Can a woman be a preacher? Is it right for women to preach? Same question, different structures, but the same question. Um We're going to find out, praise God. We're going to find out tonight. But if, well, as I suspect y'all are smart people, I think you can kind of tell the answer in a way because, hallelujah, she's speaking to you, (laughs) praise God. Hallelujah, so the fact that a woman is taking this message tonight kind of says something. But tonight is going to be a journey, praise God, into God's word. This is a question that has plagued many people in the body of Christ. It has, it has been debated for many years now. Generations upon generations, can a woman be a preacher? Is it right for women to pioneer a ministry? Is it right for women to, to be in public doing things? I mean, working signs and wonders, teaching the Bible. I mean, for, for some of you, this may be a no-brainer because we're, we're exposed to understanding in different ways. But for many other people, it, would, it may surprise you that it's a big deal. A very valid question in many circles. And God is never, ever against you asking questions. Praise God. God is never against you asking questions. In fact, um, one of the things that is so beautiful about our way of life, I wouldn't say religion because It's more than religion for us. Something very beautiful about being a Christian is the fact that, number one, you carry the Holy Spirit in you, and number two, you are never hindered from asking questions. Praise God. However far the answers may be from you, or close, whatever the case may be, God would have you ask. And he's always willing to answer those questions. That's why I said tonight is definitely going to be a journey. For many of us, we're going to be looking into arguments and then would we'll be discovering things by the power of the Holy Ghost. So, this controversy surrounding the question in this particular question in the church for many years, and somehow in a way in the world too, not just in the church, because on a general scale, I mean on a general note. It has always been a point for debate what exactly the role of women in society is. But this is not about feminism at all. And I'm not here to establish a debate for or against any side. Hallelujah, somebody. Before I go on, I want, why I'm I'm taking my time to clarify the essence of tonight's topic is because I want you to have the right expectation Praise God. Because your expectation of tonight's Bible study would definitely give direction to what you're going to take out of of it. Praise Jesus. So we're not here to establish a debate for or against feminism or anything like that. Praise God. In fact, we are going to be sticking to the topic. Can a woman be a preacher? Now what I want, what, what I desire is that everyone goes with the answers that they, I mean, with with answers to questions, some of it at least, that they've always asked or wondered about in this regard. And I'm praying that in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, every single person would receive grace and understanding tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, today we're going to be looking into God's word to know his plan for women in the body of Christ, or his desire, rather. Praise Jesus. Now, um, I'm saying now a lot, forgive me. (laughs) Praise God. Uh, Okay, so, in my research on the way to preparing for this journey that we're going to have tonight, I have seen different things. Oh, Lord. I have seen a lot of stuff online in, in, in some religious texts. And believe me, I did not go beyond Christianity. Hallelujah. So it's not like in my research, I went to read the Quran or whatever, God knows what, just to find out what exactly women do in the body of Christ. Definitely not. It's just I have been exposed to certain opinions these days that I was, prior to this week, unaware of. You guys, this topic is so important because firstly, God has too grand a picture. Too, too, too amazing a plan for his establishment, for the establishment of his kingdom on this earth than for us to be going back and forth with arguments without having answers. Praise Jesus. Now, I'm going to go straight to the point because, um, okay, let me start with a question. Are you following me? Is every law in the Bible from God? Just write that down inside your notebook and keep it in your heart. You don't even have to answer right now. I Me, mean that I just asked you the question. I have not answered it. <laughs> Praise God. Not in preparation, not in any way. I haven't answered. But it's a necessary question to ask because it's going to give us a lot of context. Is every law in the Bible from God? In short, can we assume that because I saw this written in this text, or I saw some prophet say this, then it definitely mirrors God's art concerning this situation. So keep that, keep, just, just keep that on one side. Back to my drama about discovery. Now, um, before I go on, I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Praise Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, 16. That's a very, very common scripture, by the way. Some of us can probably quote it without looking into our Bibles. But because I am not reading KJV, I'm going to have to open my Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Reading from the NIV version, it says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Verse 17 says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hallelujah. Now, um, this, this scripture tells us basically that whatever it is you're going to draw from God's word, like doctrine, correction, instruction. It has to be primarily from here. So I can assure you that whatever we conclude upon tonight is going to be drawn not from men's traditions, not from what culture dictates, not from what you have seen or experienced growing up or what we see around, whether it's right or wrong. is going to be from what we understand from God's word. Hallelujah, somebody. So thank you guys for following. Thank you once again for tuning back in. Now, I trust that in tonight's Bible study, we are going to open our hearts to what the Holy Spirit will teach us about. And it's going to be an amazing time. So that question, do not forget it. Now, we're going to take a look into history. Because I believe strongly that to, to, for us to see or understand where it is we're going to, we have to know where we're coming from. And this may have a lot to do with the question that I asked in the first place, if every law in the Bible is from God. Now, um, do, during my, my, my research, I discovered personally And we are all learning here, praise God. So I'm going to be real with you guys. I looked through the whole book of Numbers, the entire book of Deuteronomy, at least those two. And in my understanding, those two have a lot of laws. Praise Jesus. I looked through those two books this week that I've ever looked through them in my entire life. And I feel that I have a witness in the house, somebody that has not finished reading the book of Deuteronomy or Numbers. But that's just a joke. They are are filled with laws, hallelujah. And so in a bit to understand what God's word says about the role of women in the Jewish society at the very least, I had to look through and see, okay, what does God say? Is there a part where God says, like one rabbi I found online saying that any woman who is caught in public speaking, I mean, and this, this is not in the 21st century, actually. <laughs> it's just from back in the days. She would be stoned. What an extreme instruction. For what? Praise Jesus. Now, um, seeing things like this would have you think about just how many other extremes we have adopted or, or come into and just assumed was God's will. Because somebody with some authority said it. Now, this is not an insult in any way to anyone carrying spiritual authority. Praise God. We honor them. But we must cultivate an attitude of searching through God's heart before knowing exactly what to settle into. Praise Jesus. Yes, stone cold. Um, So in my search, to be sincere with you guys, I did not categorically find a place where God instructed that women should be dismissed silent. However, praise God, when reading the Bible, you must understand that as much as it is God's word, it also has a strong ethnic background. Praise Jesus. Contextually speaking, the Bible is very culturally informed. Hallelujah. So, While we look at history, we're not trying to put aside the fact that there are some things that um, no one's destiny is relying on really. But for the sake of law and order, God permitted. Praise Jesus. Now, in, in, in rabbinic eras, there were many postulated laws regarding the conduct of women in the public. I need you to stay with me, please. I know that we're talking about can a woman be a preacher, but I'm going somewhere. We can't just jump into church. We need to even talk about how exactly women in this context were asked to conduct themselves in public. Now, um, in, in the rabbinic eras, there were many postulated laws regarding the conduct of women in public. They were not allowed to be seen with men in public. They were, not, they were to learn everything learnable about the religion and the law. But they were not exactly permitted to teach it or have discussions about it in public. There are certain laws that, that, that keep women from doing anything at all in public. And in, in spite, in spite of, of, of this, women were still expected to know everything about the religion and about the law. So it would seem that while the Bible is clear about where it wants, where God wants women, doctrinally speaking, traditionally it's also clear that women should not be doing so much. That's what it seems like. So now we're going to be looking into scriptures that are usually misunderstood, praise God. And I, I say misunderstood with some emphasis. Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to be reading quite a lot. It's Bible study anyways. Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 14. I'm sure some of you have thought about this scripture. And you probably were also thinking about it in my introduction. Like, okay, we're trying to get your point here, Susan. But hello, there are some things that have gone ahead of you. They are written down, so whatever it is you're going to prove or disprove today, it's fine. It's all right. Are your Bibles open? First Corinthians chapter fourteen. We'll be reading verses thirty-four to thirty-five. Now, yes, this is Paul speaking. Praise God. She's praise God. Women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. Verse 35, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. I remember back in the days, reading this, I I always quite had an issue with this scripture. I I just couldn't down it. How do you say it's disgraceful? for a woman to speak in public. So, before we can trash this issue and talk about what exactly Paul meant, we'll have to read it in context. So I want to bring us back to verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. It's going to be quite the lengthy read because we have to see the context to this particular instruction. It says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together... Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Now verse 27 says, "If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now, I'm going to skip some verses here, but so far we can see that Paul seems to be hammering a lot on order. Because it would seem, oh, everyone in this gathering has a hymn, has a word of knowledge, has some prophecy, and we are all just clamoring to speak at the same time. While well, this person is edifying this other person, the other one is coming in and just saying, hey, yes, yes, God said this and that. And so there was a lot of disorder in the church. And so this is for giving an instruction on how things should be done, conducts, in the church, in a service. it says two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop and allow the other speaker to speak. Skip to verse 34. Having this context, this storyline in mind, he now says, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husband at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Praise Jesus. Now, um, KJV particularly says, I do not permit a woman to speak in the church. With what we've read, we can see that that instruction Paul gave to women, first of all, had a context. He gave it for a reason. He didn't give it because he believed the female gender should not even be saying anything in church. That they even appear in church, they should just hide in one corner and be receiving inspiration from the Spirit silently, as you should be. That was not it. That was not the intention. Because the picture being created here, if after saying Everything is said about prophecy and interpretation and people speaking one by one. He goes ahead and specifically gives an instruction to women. It's safe for us to say that, um, it's safe for us to say that in that time, it would seem that the women were being really disorganized with their, with their, um, with their. I'm sorry, guys. With their, a bit of a distraction here. Sorry. So women were being disorganized with their speaking. And um, the issue of submission is such a big deal that Paul will not have you speak over your husband in church. Which brings us to the second issue. Verse 35 says, If they want to inquire about something, they should ask who? their own husbands at home. Let's just stop it there. I'm single. You are single, I'm assuming. Some of us are not married yet. How sensible will it be for your pastor to come to you in church if you're trying to ask a question and he says ask your husband? Knowing fully well that you are unmarried. It won't make a lot of sense, will it? So, aside from the fact that Paul was trying to maintain order, we can see that there is a certain type of woman he was also speaking to. The married ones, the ones who were under submission to somebody, such as a husband. So, this was not a hateful comment in any way, and it wasn't Paul trying to restrict the flow of the spirits in a woman at all. It was just for the sake of order. So as we understand that, I'm going to read another scripture, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. It says something similar. First Timothy 2, 11 to 13. It says, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission, Verse 12 I do not permit a woman, I mean a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Now, the footnotes, I mean, for, for the footnotes in the Bible that gives more clarity to a certain term used in a certain verse says, I do not permit a woman to usurp authority over her husband. This is the second scripture. Same writer, yes, but to a different audience, and he's still saying the same thing. It still seems to be about the woman not speaking over her husband's head in public. She must be quiet. And then he goes ahead to say, Adam was formed first, and on, and on, and on. But the point is, Paul was talking to a certain type of people He was talking to a certain type of woman, the ones who had authority over them. So he would not have that disorder established in a gathering that is unto the Lord. So reading this and making it clear, I would like us to go straight into what God's view about this is. Praise God. Um, Just in case we missed this point, I would like to emphasize that a lot of the extreme views we see about women taking public positions in the body of Christ today stemmed from extreme views that people have added, do you get, to instructions that God gave. Now, at this point, I would like to give just a hint a bit of a hint to the question that I asked us to keep in our hearts is every law in the Bible from God? I'm not going to answer it directly, but I'll give you a scenario. It's one written clearly in your Bible. Do you remember the time that the Israelites were questioning Jesus and asking him what his view was about the Mosaic law concerning divorces? Praise Jesus. Jesus answered them. I'm going to paraphrase this because there's still a lot ahead of us and not enough time. So I do not want to read that particular um, um, scripture. But this is something that we are all used to already. What was Jesus' answer? Jesus said, Moses gave you that law because of the stubbornness of your heart. But my point is Moses. Jesus said Moses gave them that law. So, from Jesus' answer, you can see that while it is written in the law, not just in the Torah, in the book of Numbers, in Leviticus, it's right there. Divorce is permitted <laughs> for a just cause for adultery, yeah, it's permitted. But that was not God's plan. And as it would seem with Jesus' answer, it was not God's idea. It was Moses that gave them that answer in a bid to either silence them or just give them an answer for the sake of peace, law, and order. They almost frustrated that man. They actually did frustrate him. But then I'm not here to give motives to why he answered that way. The point is Moses gave certain laws to the Israelites that did not particularly mirror God's heart concerning the situation. So from Jesus' answer, you can tell that what he's actually saying is God hates divorce. He still hates it and it is not permitted. That adultery that you're putting as a clause for divorce can be forgiven. So back to women preaching, this may help you answer the question, as to whether every law you come by in in religious texts, I mean, in the Bible, rather, is from God, or you can say can mirror God's heart in a certain situation. That gives a hint to it. We're still going to come back to that question to answer it fully. But these instructions were given for law and order. It does not mean that God does not anoint women or that God does not permit women to speak. So now we're going to go into examples to see what God's view about this is. And the first person we're going to be considering is Mary, Martha and Lazarus' sister. Praise Jesus. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. told you we're going to be reading a lot. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Now, okay, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, this is so sweet. It's cute. Because I'm, I'm painting a picture in my head right now. And I can imagine a situation whereby Martha goes to Jesus really expecting that Jesus is going to be on her side. Like she comes really asking boldly. that Rabbi, oh, can you not see that I'm the only one attending to the food that you're going to eat? as you have come to the house now. Mother, I mean, Mary has led me to attend to it by myself. Please tell her to assist me. So she believed she was doing the right thing, asking Jesus to tell Mary to leave what is important, to go and prepare him food. The Savior of the world has come into your house, and what you're bothered about is what he will eat, not what you will get from him. But what was Jesus' reply Jesus said to him, to her rather, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things, few things are needed or indeed only one. I'm reading from, I love this NIV version. It says, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and they will not be taken away from her. Again, tonight's Bible study is not about feminism, but I dare say that Jesus was addressing in a way the cultural image painted in people's minds about the place of a woman, even in an important meeting. Praise God. Many times Jesus will go to visit people, enter into their homes, eat with them, just with them, drink with them, And then most of these accounts, what you hear is how Zacchaeus sat with him. The disciples were around him, which were men, by the way. and, And many of these Pharisees and Sadducees were around. They were men. Where were the women? They were probably attending to the wine that they would serve these people. As they sat listening to Jesus, questioning him, taking things from him, lessons, and all of that. But where were the ladies You cannot tell me that Jesus was not bothered. I came here to give unto you. But you are available for anything else but what I can actually impart to you. And so he's correcting Martha as he tells her, you are worried about many things. But only few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen this part. Woman, drop the kitchen. Forget about it. Let the food burn. Come here, sit down, and listen to what I'm teaching. Because I'm not just teaching you for you. I'm not just teaching you to overload you with knowledge. There is something that has to be birthed in the place of the Spirit. God's will has to be established. And so there is impartation needed. You cannot be bothered about the food that I will eat while Mary has chosen that which is needful. I love Jesus so much. I mean, this is why, this is why the Pharisees really did not like him. Many times they will ask a question with such confidence like, yes, <laughs> let's see how you will answer this one. We have cornered you. We have caught you. And lo and behold, by the time our Lord will do it, it's just going to render them speechless. Like, what on earth? I did not see that coming. So Jesus' answer to Martha was really precise, and it was beautiful, honestly speaking. So one thing is needful. That's what Jesus says. And that one thing is the ministration of the Spirit at that point in time, in Mary's heart. Woman inclusive. Like, see, God cares about what he has imparted into the lives of every believer. And there is not a single point in time when Jesus went out to teach and he left out the woman, where he went and healed people and he left out. In fact, he healed a lot of women. But even in his teachings, even the children, Jesus included in the equation, how much more the woman. So it is a lie. That as a woman, the extent of your service and devotion to God is limited to certain boundaries. Jesus makes it very clear what God would rather have us be doing in this story. And that is paying attention to the things of the kingdom. Praise God. Another example, Luke chapter 8. We read from verses 1 to 3. Luke chapter 8 Verses 1 to 3. Remember how I mentioned that in post-biblical and rabbinic era, there was a lot of, I mean, there were many more laws postulated about women's conduct in public and stuff and stuff on and on. Things that I'm very sure God did not send them to write inside in law. But they've started reading it. Anyways, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The 12 were with him, hallelujah, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. One Mary called Magdalene, from whom 70 months had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, praise the Lord, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Praise God. These women were ministering to Jesus Christ. That's what KJV actually says. As, I mean, not to boast or anything, my name is right here in this verse, and I've always wondered where on earth Susanna came up in the Bible. So I used to read it back in the days, you know, in KJV. <laughs> Sorry, I'm choking around right now. I'm just saying, That KJV specifically said that these women ministered to the Lord from their own pockets. See, this is not going to come as a shock to anybody. We all know that not all of us are called to the pulpit ministry. There are women in this Bible study today. I don't know if this is a prophecy or, in fact, I don't think it's a prophecy. It is sure. There are women among us listening, tuned in right now in Vivify that will be trailblazers for God's kingdom in these times and in the future times. Women among us that will stand in places and bring crowds to the kingdom of God. But there are also women among us who would who would not be so much under the spotlight, but will be ministering nonetheless. And that's what these women were doing for Jesus, to Jesus, for the disciples. And it's so very clear how much Jesus cherished them, how much Jesus loved them, so much to the point that among them was the first person who actually witnessed the resurrection. The first person he showed himself to not saying that there was anything sentimental going on there, like, nah, these ones are my favorites, I'll show them myself first. I'm just saying that's how much in tune with the spirit these women were. They were great when it came to things of the kingdom and they were not hindered in any way. So I tell you, God would have you pay attention as a woman to the things of the kingdom Another example, <laughs> please, you people don't get tired. The Samaritan woman, and this, this is the last example I'm going to say so much about. And it's going to be a lengthy read because, honestly speaking, it's necessary. There is something I want us to see here. Uh, okay, so in the first example about Mary and Martha, we see Jesus breaking down walls about um, um, views that have to do with women only paying attention to domestic things or anything but what is really needed or under the spotlight. And then in his um, relationship with Susanna, Joanna, Mary, and those women, we see how that contrary to what that extreme rabbi I mentioned earlier in the Bible study said about women being stoned for appearing with men in public. I mean, come on. Jesus had female friends and disciples. Whom he loved very much. So I'm going to go to the tale of the Samaritan woman now. John chapter 4. I hope somebody is reading. Hmm. Please follow me. You need to follow me on this one. This story blessed me with all my heart. John chapter 4. Can you hear my Bible opening? I can hear it. So we'll be reading John chapter 4 verses 5 to 15, 19 to 24, and 28 to 30. Now I read first. Verse 5, it says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sechar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, J- J- Joseph. Jacob's, Lord Jesus. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, yes, he had sat down by the well. The Samaritan woman now came, and he said to her, will you give me a drink? He initiated the conversation. See, this is one of the most intentional encounters I have read about in the New Testament. The most intentional. It was no coincidence at all that this woman, this Samaritan woman wanted to fetch water. And Jesus went and strategically positioned himself for water that he ended up not drinking and sent the disciples to go and buy food that he ended up not eating. Because it's no news that in those days, before the Holy Spirit came upon them and there was understanding and stuff, the disciples themselves, there were a lot of drama in a way for Jesus because their, their limited understanding kind of stood in the way many times. And so I see a situation whereby if they were actually around or if Jesus not sent them around, they would not have allowed that conversation to continue as it should have. So back to verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? In brackets, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. She's not just a woman. She's Samaritan. Just in case you don't, let me give you guys background story to the enmity between Jews and Samaritans. You can read this up. By the way, you can read it up. you will be fun. So um, the Samaritans are a mixed congregation, sort of, in that the Samaritans were formed when some ten tribes of the Israelite clan, the entire twelve tribes, kind of broke away, and they went and intermarried, and then they did all sorts of stuff. They mixed in some way, and so the Samaritans are kind of the products of of a lot of mischiefs that God asked them not to do in the Old Testament. And so that is why um, if you would hear a Jew, typical Jew in the Bible days, talking about a Samaritan, they talk about Samaritans worse than they talk about Gentiles. A Gentile is simply not a Jew. But well, a Samaritan is like the worst of pagans to Jews. So they hated each other. If anything was going to be a big deal here, it was not just the fact that Jesus was talking to a woman, alone, at a well. <laughs> He was talking to a Samaritan woman. One with a reputation. It's okay. Let's re- keep reading. The Samaritan woman said she knew. She said, you are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In brackets, for Jews do not associate it's with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 11 says, sir. The woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the world is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Back to the backstory I was giving you guys, our father, because they kind of have some relationship with the Jews. So That's besides the point, just to prove what I was saying. Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water, so that I I will not get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's so cute because she really thought Jesus was talking about physical water and Fetching water is not easy because I used to do it back in the days. If someone tells you I'll give you water, you'll never have to fetch water again. I may have fallen for the same thing. (laughs) So she's still very much thinking about physical water. But let's get to verse 19. It says, sir, the woman said, I can sense that you are a prophet. This woman, this pagan woman, sensed within her what Jews that had been living with Jesus Christ all his life still did not see in spite of many signs and wonders. She called him a prophet, not the Messiah, yes. But she says there was some divinity about this guy that she couldn't quite put a finger upon. Now, I dare tell you that God does not waste resources. Like I said, this was a very intentional encounter. It's not in every, every account you see Jesus Position himself and do all this talking and talking and talking to win soul. He usually went either went straight to the point or just used the parable. But he was pretty intentional about this woman, and I'm beginning to see why she was not there by mistake. There were questions burning in her heart. She was no Jew. But she was learned. She was. She was. She. She cared about the things of this God that everyone was talking about. So now we read verse nine, verse twenty. It says, "Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem." Woman, Jesus replied, "Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Is that your life? Let me hear you write whoop." Praise Jesus. Okay. Here you say whoa, but just kind of write it it in the comment section so that I know that you are with me and I'm I'm not the only one rejoicing. Praise God. That's my life. And that person that does not have to go to the mountain or has to go to a temple to worship the Lord, but note that Jesus was talking to somebody here. He was not talking in general terms just yet. He was talking to the woman when he said, That woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father. Neither on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. Why? Because you will be carrying his spirit. Praise God. Hallelujah. Somebody. That prophecy in Joel that says his spirit will be poured out. This is Jesus giving her an intro. That there will come a time when you would carry that much power and it's not going to be about who is Jew or who is Samaritan or who is male or who is female. It's God's going to be about God's sons worshipping him in spirit and in truth. That's your life. That is my life. He was talking to who? Not the disciples. The Samaritan woman. And he said, you serenitians worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seek. God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Lastly, verse 28 to 30. He said, then leaving her water jar, ha, ya, 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 after this encounter, What's the title again? Can a woman be a what? Preacher. Verse 28. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. This woman, I skipped the part where she was, where Jesus was reading her CV to her. You have been married five times and the man you're currently living with is not even your husband. Now, let's not even imagine how many she must have slept with that she did not marry. She had a reputation So that town she's running back into. She's running back to meet people that know her. People that know her tainted past. So she ran back into town. And what did she do? She went and proclaimed loudly, come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She's witnessing people of God. Witness, and that is evangelism. Can a woman be a preacher? What is preaching, please? How shall they hear the gospel if they've not preached? I mean, that, I'm, that, that's me just paraphrasing that part in the Bible. But hello, somebody. This Samaritan woman is actually preaching. And she's not speaking into the air because verse 30 says, they all came out of the town, Oluwau, and they made their way toward him. Me, have never preached like that. So when I'm seeing things like this, where Peter preached one time, 5,000 converts, another time, 3,000 converts, and then this one came and everyone followed her out of town. It wasn't just about the testimony of someone who used to be rotten. It was the fact that she also probably sounded really convinced and convincing that they wanted to see for themselves whatever it is this woman saw at the well. That changed her, that makes her to sound this bold. Can a woman be a preacher? I think my answer is yes. Praise Jesus. I don't know what your answer is, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is beginning to answer it on our behalf. Now remember the time when um, earlier in the Bible study, I also mentioned that there are many certain places in the Torah that categorically states that women, a woman's in fact even till this time in, 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 in jesus' ministry in the bible there there, there is there, there was a time when it was clearly written and followed that a woman's witness in any gathering particularly in a court of law is easily dismissible and it is unwarranted, it's unrequired. Should something happen to you and your only witness is a woman, you have lost that case already because of agenda. That's what it means. You don't have a case because your witness is not recognized by the law. But this is Jesus Christ sitting at a well and impacting a woman, the very same woman that they said should not witness anywhere. He with the grace to go and witness to an entire town and bring him believers. We see Jesus constantly breaking the walls, constantly saying, I know this is what you all have written down in your law, but this is not my heart concerning the situation. This is not what I am asking you to do. This is not what I created any of you for. I did not say sit back in your house and cook the food or just go to church and teach the children at home when you come to church, keep quiet, no. This is Jesus saying that in you, there is the Holy Spirit and you will express his gifts. Hallelujah. This South, Africa, as I said, South African woman, Lord, this Samaritan woman deserves a lot more accolades than she has actually gotten. I mean, at this point, I promise you guys that I am being blessed because for the first time I am reading the story of the Samaritan woman and I'm not seeing a prostitute converted. I'm seeing a preacher. I'm seeing a woman filled with the spirit, one who followed Jesus all her life, one who who was sensitive enough to go and position herself for a supernatural encounter and was receptive. This is more than I can say for many other people that Jesus faced. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate table breaker and shaker. No wonder they're not like him. Praise God. So that's all about the Samaritan woman. And then for other examples, we have. I mean, let's go to the Old Testament where you say the law was really grounded and all. Deborah. In Judges chapter four, verse four, the Bible says that Deborah was a judge over Israel. She was a prophet. They could not fight any battle without first first consulting her. When Barack went to meet her and asked how things would go, what should he do? First of all, it takes a lot of respect for the general of an army to come and tell. Okay, Deborah was, yeah, she was also a warrior. But then, it takes a lot of respect for someone who is highly regarded in the army to come and tell a woman that I am not going to war without you. Not because he needs moral support or emotional support. But just because she was that precise and she did prophesy, she told him that this enemy guy will be handed into the hands of a woman. She's a woman, go ring. I'm last, last, and that's exactly what happened. I'm saying that even in the old testament, when things were more rigid, lawfully speaking, God in His own supremacy still went out of the boxes that men created for themselves and anointed a female to judge Israel. She was not the king, but she was the authority. So I dare to tell you that whatever it is you believe about women preaching, or about God calling women, I'm choosing deliberately not to even mention examples in our contemporary times because it's very easy to state the arguments that, okay, we can't tell, they may, be, they may not be walking in the will of the Lord. I mean, how many things have changed in the church today because, well, it's the 21st century, or it's 20th century, it's the New Testament. How can we tell that this is God's will? I'm showing it to you now that even then, when laws did not permit women particularly, to to inherit their father's land, God anointed women to save the day. God anointed women to prophesy. God anointed women to judge. He gave women such great wisdom. Again, this is not about feminism. I'm just trying to remind you people that the book of Galatians chapter where is it, where is it, yes Galatians chapter 3 verses 28 to 29 in fact I'm going to read it, hallelujah because it needs to drive we need to drive this point home Galatians Lord this bible Galatians, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 reading the NIV version it says there is neither Jew Nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and what? Female. For you are all what? One in Christ. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And verse 29 says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Praise Jesus. God does not see gender. When he's pouring out his spirit on all men, like he said he would do in the book of Joel, and like he has actually done, he pours it out abundantly upon everyone who believes, woman or man. And so, if the Lord has anointed certain men to be teachers, certain men to be prophets, to be preachers, to be, to be, to be, to be hey, what's the other office? To be, I'm not remembering it. Anyways, if he has anointed men to be ministers, he has equally anointed women to be the same. Hallelujah. So the question is not about whether Galatians chapter 3 verses 28 to 29. That's it. So, the question is not about whether you can find enough examples in your time doing this. It's not about whether you can find enough examples in the Old or New Testament following this, preaching, or or receiving accolades for doing great things in the kingdom of God. It is about what you know that God has written in His Word, what He can do through you, and specifically what He is asking you to do. So, I'm speaking to my sisters right now and i'm telling you that according to the book of galatians 329 if god has made all of us heirs together of his eternal promise what is preaching that he will restrict us from it i mean this thing called eternity is yours in a bag already the jet pack is living right inside of you that's the holy ghost What is preaching that daddy will come and say, no, don't do this one, you people, no. Women are not supposed to be out there really. I promise you, like I said, when starting Bible study, God has too great a plan, too grand a picture, than to be playing politics with gender. Hallelujah. And because we know that Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father, We know that if you have not seen God and you have seen Jesus, you can take it that you have seen the Lord. You have seen the Father. You can take it that although you have not heard what God would have you think about this issue, you can just look into your Bible and see what did Jesus do. How did he handle this? How did he address this? Then this is what God thinks. So if Jesus broke these tables, you should not be sitting on them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So woman of God, I promise you that you have a lot to offer and you can convert these things. Praise God. It's not about just sitting down and "Eh, the Lord has not shown me vision, has not shown me dream. He has not said that I should come and do this. You can actually ask him. God is constantly ever for those who are willing to serve. If you ask for a double assignment, I'm sure he's willing to give it to you. So you can convert these things. Praise God. The book of Ephesians, lastly, in closing, chapter 4, verse 16 says, From whom the whole body, body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every, somebody say every, Every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I have a feeling you are not understanding this in context. So Paul is telling everyone that as a believer, all of us have a role to play in the church. And so we are like joints in a body, fitted together, supplying something. I'm not a doctor, and I I, 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 I didn't read medicine. I, in fact, hated biology. But this much I know, every single organ, to the littlest artery in your body, is serving a purpose. Are there cells that die and are replaced every day? Yes. Are there cells that die off and nothing is happening to you? Yes. But while they were alive, they served a purpose. And that's you in the body of Christ, man of God, woman of God. That is you in the body of Christ. We are all like joints fitted together supplying something. Every joint, every one of us supplies something. So for everyone who believes there is a purpose and a role to fulfill, you have to be conscious of that every day. When you understand that this is the crux of what makes you purposeful in everything that you do, then you can rise up every day and walk above the limits that people put upon themselves or try to put on you because you know your assignment and you will fulfill it. Praise God. You cannot tell me that in the days of Deborah there, there would not have been people that would oppose to the fact that their judge was a woman. It's not about feminism, again. It isn't. But some people are very used to what they already deem proper that they never want to go beyond it. So will you sometimes, may you sometimes be in a situation whereby um, someone says something funny, I, I can't even imagine right now. You need to be reminded that there is a purpose and role for you to fulfill. God has a grand plan. It's always been about his kingdom. It's always been about his plan for the earth. And you are a strategic part of that plan, no matter what you are supplying. However little anyone thinks it is, however great anyone thinks it is, God is the one who quantifies, the one who gave the purpose, is the one who tells its value. So you have value. Woman of God, you do have value. And you have an assignment. Men, please, I beg you, don't feel left out. Because you know, this thing is about women. So I'm I'm encouraging my sisters, (laughs) my brothers in the Lord, you know this. We all have values. And so what we can do, taking from tonight, from tonight's study, is go out there into the world that God has placed us in. Or wherever it is we find ourselves being conscious of the fact that there is a power that is at work inside of you as a woman. And I promise you, that power is not working with gender. It's not working with anything because this body will perish. And as the Bible has showed us in Galatians chapter 3, there is no male or female in God's eyes. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no, no, no slave or free in God's eyes. All God has is children, servants, sons, useful in his hands this body will perish, the body that makes you female. It's going to perish. So after life on this earth, your value will still speak because it is beyond you. Hallelujah, somebody. So you have something to supply, woman of God. <laughs> you have something to supply. And that is my ending statement, really. This brings us to the end (laughs) of the Bible Bible study session. Praise Jesus. We are all valuable. So can a woman be a preacher? I actually want to see some answers in the comment section right now. I'm reading through, like legit. (laughs) Glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Frances, thank you, Chazam. Can a woman be a preacher, somebody? Can I hear your answer? Mine is yes. A woman can be a preacher, and women should preach. Is, is God calling you to do this? Then do it. Take our assignment. Take the bulls, I mean, yeah, the bulls, <laughs> by the horns, and fulfill your purpose, because God is certainly not holding you back. He is not holding you back, and he is not the author of, of confusion or anything that says contrary to what his heart is actually saying to you right now. So go ahead and just live life to the fullest. Live life the way God would have you live it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I hope that you guys have had an amazing time. I have had (laughs) fun teaching this and honestly speaking, before we go into prayer, I'm going to I have to just thank PK right now. Thank you so much, Pastor Kenneth, for this opportunity, for the privilege to take to take this message. Yes, we will preach most excellently and we will do ministry with such proficiency. Yes, yes, because nothing and no one is holding us back. Hallelujah! Somebody who's ready to pray tonight. Woo! I can hear my feet stamping on the floor. We're only going to pray for a short moment because by 6.30, this should be done. So, yeah. Now, following the prayer, what um, we're going to do right now in prayer for the next few minutes is we're going to charge ourselves up in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. One thing that I love about Sundays is The fact that it's, one, the beginning of a new week, and number two, the recharge that you get in God's presence. I mean, nothing is more beautiful to me than correcting me about something or showing me something that I should begin to start or sponsor and just giving it to me on a clean slate. This is a new week. Time for new opportunities, new actions. So what we're going to do is charge ourselves up right now. In the Holy Ghost, we are going to be praying and you'll be declaring, saying that everything that the Lord has deposited in you to fulfill his plan and promise for his kingdom on this earth, and in your life, you begin to express yourself in it in the name of Jesus. So I want you to lift your voice right now and begin to pray. Lindo Thank you, Lord God, because your spirit is in me. I carry you in all your fullness and as I go into the world today this week I express the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. I am audacious in the Holy Spirit. I am bold because my confidence is in you. My confidence is in your spirit, not in myself. So I heal the sick. I lay my hands and people are healed. I preach the gospel and people receive salvation in the name of Jesus. Little I no longer keep myself caged in boxes of human tradition or understanding and then while I function in the frequency of the Holy Ghost, I am absolutely in tune with what God will have me do. And I walk in purpose. I walk in purpose. I walk in the gifts of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Leto shetabara. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your good. And so we lift our voices this evening, Daddy. We just love you with all our hearts. Right now, that's all. That's all we can say. How much we're thankful to you and how much we love you cannot be described with words. Thank you for the liberty you've given us in your word and by your spirit. Thank you for sending Jesus to come and die for us because washing away our sins on its own, is a big deal. It's a great assignment. And he didn't stop there. He has done even more than that. He has liberated us into a full life of purpose. How would we possibly live at all if we do not have you? There's just absolutely no way. And so we're thankful, Daddy. Thank you for for your intense love for us. Thank you for your kindness toward us. Thank you for the spirit you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, because this week you have already empowered us with what we need in knowledge and in power to walk in your plan. And so we receive that grace that is abundantly provided. Right now we receive it and we walk in it every single day We walk in it. In every waking moment, we walk in it. Even in our sleepy thoughts, we are still walking in it. We thank you, Lord God, because you are great. And because you love us. And we love you too because you first loved us. And we love you even more because we know that we would never be able to outlove you. You. We'll never be able to love you more than you already love us. But it's so beautiful how your sufficiency constantly shames our weaknesses. And this is what we put our confidence in this evening, this week. The fact that even when we are weak, you are strong. And you are still working beautifully in us. We give you praise, Lord. Be exalted in our lives. Let your light shine powerfully through us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to Bible Study. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.